0: I praise the Lord for how the Holy Spirit moves and uses songs of praise uh, to his glory and to the honor of Jesus Christ and his shed blood for us. What a great reminder for us this morning. Thank you, uh, Claire, for helping lead and uh, Camilla's absence as she takes uh, Emma back to school and uh, is down there with her in South Carolina. We are grateful for all of our worship team. Uh, it's been uh, just do what needs to be done uh, with a variety of uh, shifting gears and figuring things out, and by God's grace, um, we are grateful uh, for this time of worship today. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 9. Kids, as you're dismissed for Children's Church, uh, the adults are going to find Mark chapter 9 and verse 42 in their Bibles. You can follow along in the Bible, in the the pew rack, (laughs) in the pew rack in front of you. Uh, We'd be grateful if you would uh, join us in that. It's been quite a week, hasn't it? Uh, it's been a bit of a false start. That's the way I've been describing it. You feel like you're trying to go to school and you get snowed in. You feel like you're trying to go to the base and there's no internet, you know, so, or internet or whatever you guys are using down there. I've heard it's been a frustrating week. But you know what's awesome is that each Lord's Day, no matter what happens, we get to come and gather and worship Jesus and get ourselves centered back on what really matters, the eternal things. And God's word. So I invite you to stand with me as we read Mark chapter 9 verse 42 through the end of the chapter. This is Jesus speaking. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to fall away, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to fall away, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt should lose its flavor, how can you season it? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you for standing in honor of it. You may be seated. One of my favorite games to play uh, as a kid was the word association game. You ever played this game where you you say a word and then somebody else says a word and then you hear their word and you say a word back? You say whatever comes to mind first. And it can take you into unusual places. It actually tells you a little bit about the person with whom you're playing and the things that they are thinking about. Sometimes uh, what they come up with the word is not the way you would have gone. So for example, if I were playing the word association game with you, I would start and I'd say horse. And then you might say ranch because you're thinking of a horse ranch. And then I would say Canada. And that would be out of left field for you. But for me... It's the very first thing that comes to mind when I think of a horse ranch. I think of a place I went in Canada. Brother Chris wouldn't think of Canada. He would think of his horse ranch that he used to operate. We have various things on our minds. And so it kind of leads to various places. Uh, That person, when I said ranch, they might have said dressing because they think of ranch dressing, right? And then we would have been talking about salad and bacon bits and croutons, Instead of hockey and the maple leafs and maple syrup and all things Canadian, which would be, of course, far better. <laughs> but I bring this up not because, I um, bring this up because most of the people who study Mark's gospel, the commentators, they believe that this section in verses 42 through 50, at least, and perhaps a little bit of what precedes, are all sayings of Jesus that were more or less strung together loosely because of their associated keywords. Okay, this is the the word association game in a way. It was a common way for students in that day in an oral culture to memorize things. Uh, They would kind of have connecting words and they could remember multiple sayings because it was a mnemonic device. Now there's a word that gets me thinking of something else. Mnemonic reminds me of a game or a thing that I did when I was a little kid. I don't know if I was maybe eight or ten, maybe Judah's age. I, I was a nerd, trust me, and, and I liked spelling bees. And so I literally took the dictionary, I can see it in my mind's eye, in our dining room at the house I grew up in, I pulled the dictionary out and put it on the ground and was reading through the dictionary to find a a tough word to spell. And the word that I thought was the strongest, okay, so you ready, kids, if you want to trip your friends up, is mnemosyne. Uh, And it's not only awesome because it leads off with a silent M, I mean, come on, that's pretty cool, but it ends with a tricky ending. So it's M-N-E, M-O-S-Y-N-E, mnemosyne, the Greek goddess of memory. So That is what comes to mind when I think of mnemonic. And so now you all know how to spell mnemonic device in your notes. M-N-E, M-O-N-I-C. Okay, so you're welcome. At any rate, okay, so after they memorized a good deal of Jesus' sayings with this mnemonic device of keyword association, then the apostles and their associates, they were free to utilize these teachings of Jesus in any way that they saw fit as they organized. Their gospel. That's why some of what you find here occurs in other contexts in Matthew and Luke. These were common sayings of Jesus that Mark and Peter had at their disposal, and they fit them in with the narratives as they saw fit. For Mark, this whole segment of sayings, like what has come before as we've been studying Mark's gospel, is about the demands of discipleship, the demands of discipleship, both positive and negative, that's what makes them fit in the overall thrust of the end of Mark 9. So are you ready for the key word connection? If you're following the train of thought in Mark's gospel, it is little ones. Remember, Jesus had just in the narrative pulled in a little one in their midst. So perhaps that was on his mind. You have little ones, and then you have the cause to fall away. Don't cause one of these little ones to fall away. Well, that cause to fall away, the Greek word scandalizomai, it's the same word we get the word scandal from. Don't scandalize these little ones. Becomes the word, don't scandalize yourself. Don't, don't do something that would cause yourself to fall away. So you have little ones caused to fall away. And then the warning about falling away is you will, be, uh, you will experience fire. Don't, don't go there because you will end up in hell where there's an unquenchable fire. And fire reminds me of salt. Because every offering of fire will be salted. And then you start talking about Salt. So do you see the little ones, caused to fall away, fire, salt? That is the train of thought. So hop on board that train this morning, and let's see if we can follow these various warnings of Jesus, all of which pertain to the cost of discipleship. So first of all, Mark and Peter, they recall this saying of Jesus in verse 42. He says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. That's serious stuff. Little ones most likely refers to immature disciples. It's entirely probable that Jesus was still even speaking to John in this context. Maybe Uh, you you remember last week, Jesus says not to stop or discourage the believer who is driving out demons in his name. And then he continues and says, even somebody who hands out a cup of cold water in my name to you, because you're my disciple, they won't lose their reward. That's a little thing. That's a small gift, small gesture. And Jesus says, if you cause even one of these little ones, one of these immature disciples, one who's just maybe even handing out a cup of water in my name to fall away, it would be better for you to be drowned than to do that. That millstone uh, that that comes up in this saying is not just a, um, a human millstone to grind grain. It's the millstone of a donkey. It's the kind of millstone that would allow you to grind a lot of grain at a time. And so Jesus says, don't cause others to fall away. Don't be the cause of another person's spiritual shipwreck, because the consequences would be so severe that a quick drowning would be preferable to that. Brothers and sisters, we ought to be extremely cautious as we consider this first warning of Jesus. Be cautious with our words, and with our actions, not to cause others to stumble. Even a little one, even the littlest spark in somebody, we don't want to become the cold water committee and drown it out. We want to encourage the faith of disciples of Jesus. Don't scandalize them, don't make them stumble. Then that becomes the connecting word To verses 43 through 47, where instead of making someone else stumble, which would be, of course, dreadful, the focus is not causing yourself to stumble by letting your eyes or your hands or your feet lead you astray into sin. In other words, this second warning of Jesus is take sin seriously. Take sin seriously. We see here that it doesn't matter if it's your eyes that lead you to sin, or your hands, or your feet. Any one of them that in any way leads you to sin needs to be dealt with radically. Radically. Of course, we know Jesus is speaking metaphorically. He's using hyperbole here. Maiming oneself is forbidden in Scripture. Okay, so Jesus is just saying we need to take Sin seriously. Get radical with any sin. Today, it doesn't even take moving your feet to go to places you and I shouldn't go. It doesn't even take your whole hand, but just your scrolling thumb to lead you into sin. Brothers and sisters, our eyes are only a very short distance from causing us to stumble. As much usefulness as these little devices can be to us, they are a portal to all manner of evil and wickedness. And if your phone is causing you to sin, get rid of it. Better to enter eternal life with Christ than suffer an eternity in hell because you are more in love with pornography than you are with Jesus Christ. Some of you need to get radical. Go, go to a website like techless.com. I uh, ran into this vendor, Brother Mark and I were at the Southern Baptist Convention, and we came across a guy, and he was uh, promoting uh, a phone, Techless, T E C H L E S S dot com, that has no social media, no app store, no advertisements, no pornography, no browser. It's a phone. It's like the old phones. Remember when you could call people with them? You know, maybe do the T9 texting. That's kind of the idea. It's got an alarm. It's got a map. You know, those kinds of basics. But some of you need to go that route because you need to obey Scripture here. The consequences of sin are just too serious for us to trifle with the world. Not just our phone. Shows we binge. We binge company we keep, places we go. Jesus says if we're being tempted, we need to get serious and we need to be radical because the consequences are eternal and severe. Listen, Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. I was reminded of that often at the horse ranch in Canada where I went, it was a Christian place. An owner would often say that, Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. Somebody here today needs to be reminded that hell is real. J.C. Ryle says, We can never talk too much about Jesus Christ, but we often talk too little about hell. This is the only place in Mark's gospel where the word for hell, the Greek word Gehenna, is used the imagery of hell was developed from the Hinnom Valley, southwest of Jerusalem. That valley was used for pagan sacrifice; hence, the association with unquenchable fire and perpetual rot. I'll explain a little bit more in a minute. It's derived from Isaiah 66:24, which was the basis for the Jewish concept of hell. Isaiah 66, 24 says, As they leave, they will see the dead bodies of those who have rebelled against me, for their worm will never die, their fire will never go out, and they will be a horror to all humanity. R.C. Sproul, he explains this understanding. In ancient Israel, during the reigns of King Ahaz and Manasseh in the southern kingdom of Judah, the people became involved with the worst form of pagan practice, that is the sacrifice of children to the pagan god Molech. These sacrifices occurred in that deep ravine south of Jerusalem that came to be called Gehenna, which is an English transliteration of the Greek form of the Aramaic word. So it's a little confusing, but it's basically a, a copy. A trans, it's just letter for letter of the Greek form of the Aramaic word. Now, what the practice of sacrificing children had done is it had led to the round rebuke of the prophet Jeremiah. And this was finally halted, the sacrificing of children to Molech by King Josiah. And to make sure it didn't start up again, Josiah sought to desecrate that ravine, make it an undesirable place to go. And so it became the city garbage dump. Refuse from the whole city, including the carcasses of animals and even the corpses of criminals, were carted out on a regular basis and tossed into that massive ravine, the garbage dump. And to keep the dump from overflowing, they lit the refuse on fire. They burned it continually, constantly, and it was constantly getting fuel because of the incoming garbage. Meanwhile, worms stayed busy, devouring the carcasses of animals and criminals dumped in Gehenna. This is the imagery of Isaiah 66 and the picture of a terrible place where eventually the Jewish people would come to understand would be a final place of punishment like this. We have to understand this is a metaphor, at the least, of physical pain. The Bible teaches not only the resurrection of the body of the saints, which is an exciting and a wonderful, glorious doctrine we need to remember and celebrate. We are not going to be separated from our bodies forever, The body in itself was not created evil. The bodies are a good and beautiful thing that God has given us, and we will be united with our bodies in a glorified fashion for eternity. But in the same way, the damned, too, will also be embodied, fit to receive an everlasting punishment in hell, where the worm doesn't die because the host is never consumed. The fire is not quenched. The torment is constant. Hell is a place of unending pain. I'm afraid that we spend far too little of our time thinking about trivial things, unimportant earthly things, and not enough time about the eternity that awaits, uh, that awaits us. Friends, hear me clearly life is short. 58-year-old brother minister of mine from Tallahassee passed away unexpectedly last week. Life is short. None of us are promised tomorrow. But let's start thinking, where will you be in 10 years, 50 years for all of us? Where will we be in 100 years, 1,000 years? Listen, if you believe God is real and that God created, that this word of God is true and that eternity awaits us, let us start thinking of eternal things, because this is a light and momentary drop of time. James describes it as like a vapor. We ought to take eternity seriously. And what Mark is recording of what the Savior of the world said, if that's true, we have to take hell seriously, and it should motivate us to care for the souls of those around us. Don't ever be discouraged when somebody tells you that you're taking things a little extreme. Do you get that sometimes? Well, meaning, brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe your spouse or a friend, somebody says, you're just getting too extreme about this. But don't ever hear that, especially if the extreme is about mortifying sin. Listen, I would rather be with the Lord of the universe about sin than play with fire. Speaking of fire, that's the connecting word. Okay, this, this section 43 through 48 is talking about the consequences fire, unquenchable fire at the end of verse 38. And then we have this enigmatic, this mysterious verse 49. Everyone will be salted with fire. One commentator did not even care to venture a thought. <laughs> it's a reliable one. He said there's so many different uh, Christian views on what exactly was meant here that he said this just belongs to the deep things of God. Like, I, I don't even know. Well, I want to offer at least what I think is the most reasonable of several of those views, so you can do your own research on verse 49, but one line of thinking that I found most reasonable I'd like to share with you. What does everyone will be salted by fire mean? And I think it has to do with the idea of the grain offering in Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 13. Grain offerings which were burned are accompanied by salt. Look at Leviticus 2.13. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. In other words, the thought of sacrifice kind of preceding this, whether it be of your hand or your eye or your foot, any member of your body is carried a step further to say every disciple is truly a living sacrifice. Every disciple will be a living sacrifice. William Lane writes, Disciples must be seasoned with salt like a sacrifice. This will take place through fiery trials, the kind of which 1 Peter speaks about, through which God will purge away everything contrary to his will. That is, of course, what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. At the very least, we, we know this familiar scripture. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, okay, that's connecting to what we've been talking about, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. When we're talking about the cost of discipleship, none of this has been easy. Listen, brothers and sisters, no preacher who doesn't preach expositionally goes looking for a text at the first part of a new year and finds Mark 9, 42 through 50 to pick out. By God's grace, this is where we are. And let me tell you, this kind of train of thought, everyone has to take up the cross and follow me, it shouldn't be a surprise that this is a hard saying. It's hard to talk about getting radical about sin. It's hard to talk about being salted with fire. No sacrifice, no animal is saying, well, I love being here, being roasted. (laughs) Right? This is not an easy thing to think about. But it sounds to me, if this is the train of thought, and if this is the way verse 49 is to be interpreted, you're burned one way or another. The question is, will it be with the unquenchable flame and fire of hell or will it be with the refiner's fire purifying you and leading to an eternity with Christ where there will be no more pain, suffering? Everyone will be salted with fire. Those fires, as Paul would put it, are light and momentary when compared with the weight of glory that will be revealed to us. Be encouraged. That text, if you want to write down Romans 8, 18 through the end of the chapter, that's where you can go for the hope of glory, the hope of Christ in you. That the sufferings of this world are light and momentary. And there is a hope for the redemption of our bodies for eternity. That is the hope, Paul says, in which we are saved. Let's get real about the fact that we all will face trials. The question is, which fire will you face? So uh, that's perhaps, to me, the best line of thinking on verse 49. You can do some of your own research. But then you've seen it already. This Fire is accompanied by salt. That sacrifice is seasoned with salt. And so then it has the the keyword association of salt. That's the next teaching of Jesus. And it's a two-parter. Okay, verse 50. It says, Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how can you season it? You can't resalt the dead salt. Alright, and then part two of verse 50 says, Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. I felt like these two sayings could be summed up with one phrase and one warning to Christians. Don't ever stop being salty. Now, younger people, that doesn't mean salty with your language or your attitude. That means don't ever stop having that quality pertaining to you which makes you uniquely a disciple of Jesus. Don't ever stop being preserving, life-giving, healing, Uh, having those qualities in you in this world. You see, sodium chloride, our table salt, doesn't break down easily, but the kind of salt found near the Dead Sea, which included a variety of compounds, it can leave behind gypsum and other impurities when the water evaporates from it. And what remains then is salt that isn't salty at all, for which a salt lover like me, that's Bobo. Like, nobody wants not salty salt. I like salt to be salty. It has a purpose. And if it loses its saltiness, it's pointless. Jesus is encouraging his followers, don't lose the characteristics that bring preservation, that bring life into the world. Sinclair Ferguson helps clarify the intent of the Lord's words when he says, Quote, unless we maintain the purity of our own lives okay so there's the plucking out of your eye the cutting off of your hand if we don't maintain the purity of our lives and if we aren't purified by the flames of testing and remain faithful to Christ then our lives will not have a preserving influence on this corrupt world let us not become then useless disciples Look, if we look like the world, if we sound like the world, if we're acting like the world, not living holy lives, what's the point? What makes us different? What do we have to offer? What is the reason for the hope that you have? Nobody's going to ask you, 1 Peter 3.15. Nobody's going to ask you, why are you different when you face this fiery trial than me? If you're not salty, don't become a useless disciple. It's not just our impact on the world, though, that comes to mind when Peter and Mark are remembering the salt sayings of Jesus. We see the second half of verse 50 that good and salty disciples are characterized by good relationships as well, but good relationships among one another. Salt was often used as a symbol of covenant making between parties. You saw that in Leviticus 2.13, the salt of the covenant that we have. Our relationship is defined with this acknowledgement of salt seasoning it. To live peaceably with others leads some to think about salt. Another way of uh, making sure that we have salt among ourselves and peace with others is in the way we speak to one another, which is another way salt comes up in the Bible and in other rabbinic writings. The rabbis would talk about salt standing for wisdom or pleasing speech, which of course is a sound basis for good relationships. You want to have a great relationship with your spouse, with your kids, work on the saltiness with which you season the way you speak to one another. Have care and concern about what comes out of this mouth. It matters. Colossians 4.6 says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. So Christians here today, we are to heed the words of Jesus as his disciples and stay salty. In our impact to the world around us, we will be a preserving influence, a healing influence. But we are also to have salt among ourselves, verse 50 says, in peaceful relationships and in our speech toward one another. Hear hear this, all of these warnings, these four that we've covered today, They flow together as reminders to us, even today, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Are you, by your words and your actions, becoming the source of another believer believer falling away? Be warned. Are you, by your words and deeds, causing someone to stumble? Be warned today. Are you... Uh, tempted by the members of your body that want you to wander astray into sinful behavior. Jesus says, be warned. Are you thinking that being a follower of Jesus will cost you nothing? Are you thinking that it doesn't require sacrifice and you can live just like the world? Be warned. And finally, are you looking more like the world? Are you looking out of fellowship with other followers of Jesus? Are you lacking usefulness in the kingdom of God because you are unseasonable? Be warned. These are the warnings of Christ today. Friends, the cost of discipleship, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, has a lot more to do than just coming to church on Sunday has a lot more to do than just even reading your Bible or checking off a checklist. The followers of Jesus are called to deny themselves daily, take up their cross, and follow him in deeds and actions. In other words, I want to close with this verse of Scripture. This could be an index card on the bathroom mirror kind of verse for the week, the month, or the year. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's pretty radical, but I think it's right in keeping with what Jesus said today. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, follow him, be like him and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Are you living in the flesh or are you following the leading of the spirit? As Paul says, if the spirit of God is in you, he will cause us to follow him and obey him and to live for him. So let's look salty. Let's look like the light of the world. And let's remember eternity. This is serious stuff today. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, as your word has gone out today, I pray that it is piercing and prodding and pulling, pushing, guiding believers by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, would your spirit just begin to fall on us and convict us, teach us, illuminate our eyes and our ears, help us to understand these difficult warnings. Father, I pray for unbelievers who are here today that they're counting the cost, Lord, that they're considering following you, that they're the kind of person that's going to take everything into account before they go and build this giant tower, Lord. they got to know what it costs. So, Lord, I pray that there are people here who are Counting the cost of following you and finding that in the end, the immeasurable riches of your grace far exceed the light and momentary trials we all must face. Lord, most importantly, I pray that if there's an unbeliever here today that has heard the message of the music we've sang and knows the story of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would know that their sins can be forgiven. They can be found at peace with you through the blood of Jesus. We sang about it today. Oh, the blood that covers our sins. Lord, we know we have rebelled. I pray that someone here today would put their faith in you. Lord, I thank you for our church family. I thank you for um, just the many... Believers who faithfully and regularly uh, wake up each morning and crawl back onto the altar. Lord, we know that a living sacrifice would likely want to jump off the altar. So I pray that you would find us faithful each day, taking up the cross, going to the altar, and giving of ourselves, Lord, following you, dying to self, dying to sin, putting to death the deeds of the flesh, making no provision for them. Lord, getting radical about sin so that we can be salt, that we can be light, that we can be an example of what it means to face the trials of this fallen world and yet come through uh, in a way unscathed because we walk with the one who can walk through fire. Lord, I think of the passage in Isaiah That asks, who can endure the burning flames of the fire? It's only he who walks uprightly. And Lord, we know that the one who has endured the fire and the judgment for us is Jesus Christ. At Calvary, Lord, he was baptized with fire, so to speak. And scripture even teaches that he says he baptizes us with fire. Lord, purify your church. Make us holy. We are the called out ones, the saints, the holy ones as we studied today in ABF. Purify us. By your grace, make us more like Christ each day. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Our brother Jim Harris is gonna come now and lead us in a time of continuation and worship as we partake of the Lord's supper together